0: I wonder, is there a journey that you travel, a a journey that you love to go on? You love to see the scenery, whether it be on a coastal route or whether it be into the mountains or whether it be through the forest, whether it be into the country with the fields and the hedgerows and the stone walls. Is there a journey that you go along and you think, this is amazing? If there is, and I imagine there is for us all a, a journey like that, can you remember the first time you ever went on that journey where it was just amazing? You almost saw every shade of color. You saw every petal on every floor. You saw every animal in a field. Bring it to this point, and as you go along that journey, you still have that sense of how wonderful and amazing it is, but do you still notice the things? do you still notice the petals on the flowers and the animals in the field and think that that's amazing? Our human condition would say, well, the more we are familiar with something, the less impact it has on us. And that can be true for our journey through John's gospel. We have reached this point of John chapter six. And so much has been familiar to us as we've gone along uh, the road John's prologue was where we started in John chapter 1, in the beginning. And right in the middle of that, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So familiar, but yet whenever we hear them afresh to us in our series, they've become alive again. Or Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, also in John 1. It can be so easy to gloss over that without looking down deep to the impact that it has John chapter 2, changing the water into wine. One of the earliest stories we probably ever hear in the life of Jesus as we're taught it. John 3, 16. It loses loses its power within us the more familiar we become with it. And then John chapter 4, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. We just take it for granted. That's what happened without thinking what the detail was. If there is possibly one of the stories of Jesus in John's gospel that has lost its power and amazement to us, it's probably going to be the one this morning. John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15, the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four gospels. The death and resurrection miracles that 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 is, they're recorded as well, but in terms of the active ministry that we account in the early chapters of the Gospels, this is the only one that is done and recorded in all four. That would tell us that there's something here, something that all of the Gospel authors wanted us to see and wanted us to get. It seems to me, and I, I will admit that this was, whenever I approached this story, I thought, there's nothing new here. But as I got into it, I realized there was. I was close to missing the depth of what Jesus is trying to communicate. So let's pray and ask for his help, that he will help us to discover the depth that he wants us to go in our relationship with him. So let's, let's pray. Father, we have sung a song that us before you, recognizing that you are uh, the Lord of grace. Father, we want to give you our all this morning as we come and as we think about your words and what they say to us. What is familiar to us, may you open our eyes afresh to it. May you captivate us again with your truth. And Father, as we realize it, may we know the fullness of life that you give us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's recap the story uh, and let's pick out some stuff that's in there that we may miss just to to start us off. We're only to chapter six, but yet a year has already passed. So as we start this passage in John's gospel, uh, in John six, a year has passed since uh, John four. John four, Jesus left Jerusalem and he went into Samaria and then he went uh, to his home area. So a year has passed and it's time for the Passover again. We know this a little bit later on because we're told that they sit down on grass. There's only one time of the year when this region of biblical Palestine is fertile enough to have grass and it is the Passover. So John is making it very clear that we realize the timescale. We don't have everything that Jesus did in that year, but he worked and he ministered. And here we are a year later. He's taken some time to be with his disciples. And he looks down and he sees the crowds coming in verse 5. His reputation has grown. Whatever he has been doing in that year, his reputation and his fame has grown throughout the countryside that these people are coming to him to hear what he has to say and also to see the miracles that he has been doing. But as Jesus looks on the people, the the first emotion that he has is compassion. So Jesus looks in this crowd and he sees these thousands of people. And the first thing Jesus thinks about is food, How on earth are we ever going to feed these people? If you had that in front of you, what would you do? You'd most likely turn to the local lad, and that's what Jesus does, the Philip test. Philip is the local guy, and so Jesus asks the question, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? We're told that he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do and Philip comes back with the answer well even eight months wages wouldn't even give people a mouthful never mind a meal there's so little Philip says there's nothing about here we cannot feed them but something comes to Jesus a small a small little lunchbox a small little rag with, with food in it And from these five barley loaves and two fish, 5,000 people are fed and there's leftovers. No one goes without. Jesus has compassion uh, for these people. And we read at the end, and and we'll look at this a little bit uh, more deeply later, the people begin to see something in Jesus. They saw this guy, there's something different, there's something special, and they wanted to make him king. We know that Jesus is king, but not the kind of king that the people wanted. So he withdraws. He goes to be by himself, to be with his father until the next appointed time when Jesus would meet with the people that God would bring his way. So that's the story and that's it a little bit filled out with the little things that we perhaps miss. So what do we take from this? Well, we're going to look at at three different sections. The first is Philip. Philip truly was the local lad. He came from the village just down the road of Bethsaida, and he would have been in the position to know and realize what was about the place. He would have known where you got the food. He would have known how you got it. He would have had the contacts, but he knew that he couldn't do it. The supply of food in this level could not be found, and so he says, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. It's a complete disaster. Philip sees this. He goes, Jesus, if you think you're going to feed these people, you've lost it in the head because there is just nothing here. We would, Even if we were to save up eight months wages, it's not even going to be enough. There is nothing humanly possible that can be done. And so we come to that little bit that may be difficult for us, that Jesus only asked this because he knew exactly what he was going to do. So it's, it's a test. It's the Philip test. The Bible tells us that Jesus asked this question to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Please don't think that Jesus is being unkind here. The person who has the answer already in their head and who wants to assert their authority over someone who doesn't know the answer, that's not what is going on. What is going on is that Jesus is, is, is showing that what is about to happen can only happen because it is of God. You see, at times it's very easy for us to ignore any work of God in our situations. A lot of the time, whenever we face the issues and difficulties and problems in our lives, we look to the world's answers for for various reasons. Perhaps someone has told us that there's something out there that'll be good for us. Perhaps we think God is too busy to deal with us or that God is too big for my small problems or, or that God just can't do it. There is no way possible that God could do this. See, Jesus asked the question, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He knew the answer was nowhere on this earth. But he asks us today, where are you going to get your help for your problems? Your concerns, your issues? Jesus knew that the only way, the only way that 5,000 people could be fed was by a work of his Father God's and a work of the Spirit. The only place we can go is to Jesus Christ. He may use people in this world, he may use situations in this world to guide us, but ultimately we begin in coming before him in prayer. This is what the disciples had to do when they realized that they could do nothing else. They left it all with Jesus. The problem was too big, but Jesus was the one who would have the answer. And this is how they did it. They brought to Jesus a young lad with his packed lunch. Something that you would take out under your arm as you go to work or as you send kids off to school. So I was thinking about this image. I found uh, found that I coped with it okay. We know the story. It's there. There's a lot of people and they're going to be fed and they're going to be full. To help me, I actually had to go out and get five rolls of bread And two fish fingers. It struck me that as I would look down on a congregation of this size this morning, what is in this lunchbox would feed 14 times the number of people sitting here. Do you believe it? Do you believe that these little bits of bread when given into the hands of Jesus and these two fish fingers, it's the best I could do. Do you believe that these could feed 5,000 people? If we did distribute this this morning, we might get just up to under the gallery. Sorry, those on the side and those at the back and those up there. If I was to distribute this, it wouldn't go far. But Jesus, he did this so that he could show where the answer to the, sol- or the, answer to the question would come from. The, que- the disciples ask the question about this meager lunch. How far will they go among so many? But Jesus takes the loaves he gives thanks and distributes it to those who are seated, and they are filled. We do find it hard to see. How did it work? Was there a cloud came down that multiplied the bread? Did they just keep giving? How did it work? We don't know. All we know is that all four gospel authors account that it happened, and everyone was fed. And what did it happen with? A scrawny lad with so little. He gave all that he had to Jesus and Jesus used it in the most amazing of ways. See, Jesus asks us the question, what can we give? What can Jesus use? The simple answer is that Jesus can use everything we offer to him. Would you have ever thought bread and fish could have been used in great ways to reveal the kingdom of God? Probably not. But we have lives that when offered to Jesus, they will be used and multiplied for the growth of his kingdom in this world and that will lead to the next. There are some things, practical ways that we can do this. The first being that we can use what we are given in our possessions and in our money. In 1 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 15, we we find the story about the Macedonian church, who out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in in rich generosity. Here was a church that was finding uh, it, it hard to get by in life. A church in this new great way of Jesus, and it's struggling, but yet it hears about the work of the Apostle, and it wants to give, and the Apostle freely receives it. They, the Macedonian church, urgently pleaded with us, Paul says, for the privilege in sharing in this service to the saints. Even though they had so little, they wanted to give what they could for the benefit of the saints. When it comes to our giving to God's work in the world, whether it be through giving here at Kirkpatrick Memorial or by giving to direct works of God's servants, we must give our all and it must be done in a spirit of joy. Our giving is not about earning our position with God. Our giving is not about making us feel good as its own thing. Our giving must be a joyful expression as we witness God at work in the world. Healing the sick, feeding the hungry, filling the spiritually empty, revealing his kingdom of hope to the hopeless. We give joyfully because it is God who uses it to multiply and extend his kingdom, You see, we have to remember that when it comes to God's work in the world, we need to look at the little boy. He came with a lunch and he was filled even though he gave it all away. The boy left satisfied. He had enough food. The question that Jesus poses to us from this account, are we willing to give what he has given us so that his kingdom can grow throughout all this world? Give our all so that he can use it in great ways. Another way that we can give the little that we have is our time. And there's no doubt that this world is a busy place. Work life, family life, social life, all of life is busy. Trying to cram in moments is getting harder and harder. But can we give a little of seeing Christ made known in this community? We still have parish newsletters that need to be distributed. Can you take 10, 15 minutes to do that so that people can find out about the life that Jesus offers as we invite them to listen to sermons, as we invite them to courses and finding out more about Jesus? We have certainly no desire Carpatrick Memorial that you would spend every night of your week here. That, that's not living but can we give a little of our time, a little of our time, so that the kingdom of God will be known in this community and in this city? You see, when we do it together, our little amounts up. God takes what we offer him as a community of his people, and he uses it in great ways. We don't do this in isolation. We come together, and we give our time together so that God can use it For his desires and his purposes. The final way that we can give a little or our little for God is the use of our talents. There's no doubt that we all have giftings and talents given to us by God. I have no question about that. The question is, what are they? In Luke 19, Jesus tells the story of a man who was going to a faraway country and distributed money between his 10 servants. When he came back, he, he brought them all before him and he asked them, well, what have you done with what I've given you? And they all report back that they've multiplied it in some way until he comes to one servant who says, well, I knew you to be a very difficult man. So I took it and I buried it. And here's your one talent back. The master sees the servant of having, as having wasted his time and what he was given. We understand that this story helps us understand that we are to use what God has given us. There's a bit of an ulster thing that goes on, that we are told that we must be humble and we must not be proud. And in the church, we determine that by whenever you put yourself up front, you're being proud or you run the risk of being proud. So stay humble. Don't, don't do anything. Just stay humble. Folks, that's a false humility. We are to give our all to God and what he has given us. If we can bake, we bake. We don't compare ourselves to the baking of the next person. If we can cook, we cook. We don't compare our cooking to the next person. If we can sing, play an instrument, use technology, use conversation to engage people in Jesus, to use our minds to think through the things of Scripture. We don't compare ourselves to other people because we are created individually in the image of God and we are given specifically what he wants us to have. I am unique. You are unique. Not as a collective, but as an individual. You are shaped And you are the way that God wants you to be. And what he asks is that we give a little of our talents to him. Jesus, in this story, this so familiar story challenges us to think about what it means giving our all to him. The final thing that we need to, to think about in this parable is that there's no leftovers. Or, sorry, in this, in this miracle, there are no leftovers. John tells us that when they went around and collected what was left, they gathered everything that had not been eaten into 12 baskets. Uh, there are many who will work out the significance of the number 12. I want you not to work that out this morning. Rather, look at the baskets. There's 12 of them. A basket was going to be a lot bigger than a lunchbox. And there are 12 of them. You see, Jesus just doesn't do what is needed. Jesus does beyond what is needed. Jesus does more and above what we just simply see because he sees it all. He sees the things that we don't see. Jesus demonstrates that when we give our little to him, he will use it only for his purposes that will be far and wide and will blow our minds away. Our role when we give of ourselves to him is to keep on loving him and serving him. Let me take one aside before we finish. I, I drew out in verse 14 that whenever the people saw what was going on, They began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The people saw what Jesus was doing and they said, this is the guy for us. Oh, not to be their savior, not to be the Jesus Lord criers, but to win their political motives. You see, Passover was a very nationalistic time for the Jews. This was whenever they came together in one place and they celebrated their culture, their heritage, and their faith. So wrap up all in that, this idea of a free biblical Palestine of Roman rule. Here's the man that they want to do it. Not only can he tell great stories, not only can he do great teaching, but he can do miracles. What power does this man have? It's interesting that John says that Jesus knew they wanted to do it by force. This was no simple invitation. This was no, Jesus, what do you think? Do you want to come and join our party as we go and do this? No, this was, we're going to make you king whether you like it or not, and there's going to be such an amount of people around you, you're not going to be able to say no. The people wanted to use Jesus for their purposes and their ends. Jesus would be king all right, but not a political king. In fact, he would do the exact opposite that a political king would do. He would give of himself freely. He would die on a cross to take on the sin of the world so that he would truly be seen as the Lord of all. So Jesus runs. He runs away to spend time with his father because his kingdom will come in his time and will not be forced by man. This little bit helps us as we think of John's gospel. In John's gospel, we find that John is very clear in these details. He's very clear about the thinking of the people. And this is just one of many times when Jesus will have to slip away so that the crowd don't make him what they want him to be. Rather, he will be revealed as the Lord of all. So, in this passage this morning, we go beyond a nice wee story. One of probably, uh, we've heard many, many times in school, in Sunday school and in church. What we're given is a picture that when we offer our little to Jesus, he does amazing things. He can take our lives and transform them in ways we cannot imagine. He can take our money and draw thousands to himself. He can take our talents and use them to encourage his people in their relationship with him. And he can take our time so that we will know the blessing of having him work in and through our lives as we seek and serve him. Are you willing to give your little to Jesus? I don't know if the young boy was asked or coerced into giving his food, but he came and he gave it. He made no grumble, no cry. He gave it. And amazing, miraculous things happened. Folks, will you be part of what Jesus is doing in this community and in his world? Will you give what you have to him completely and hold nothing back? Will you give him, and we've only looked at, at three things in life that, that we can focus on, but ultimately, will we give him our complete lives? So that we recognize that He is our Lord and Savior. Well, if you do, and I hope that you do, because this is what He requires of His disciples, you will be offering everything of yourself to Him so that He can do the most amazing things possible in this world. Let's pray. Father, in this simple story, we learn so much about your purposes for us. We learn that you want every part of us. We learn that nothing is to be held back because when when we give it to you, you multiply it, and you multiply it abundantly. Father, thank you that we can take the encouragement that what we currently give is of use. Thank you that we can learn that we can keep doing this because it's not wasted. Thank you that everything we give to you is used by you for your purposes. Father, we're so thankful that you take us along with you, that you you choose to use us in your ways. So help us as we look at our own lives. Help us as we look at our relationships with you. Help us to To work it out, what it means to be your disciples. Help us with our money, our time, and our talents. Help us with our vision for helping people in this community and across the world. Help us as we want to encourage each other and grow as a community of your people. Father, take our all that we offer. And use it to do your amazing way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.